Good morning. That holy book shall guide our youth and well support our age. It means the world to us from the moment our faith begins and the longer that we live in the faith and the more that we bring this book and these words and these truths into our lives, the stronger we're made, the more alive we become. It does not get old. It only gets richer and it only gets fuller. I remember... A number of years ago, when I was 12 or 13 or 14, and I was at a Bible lectureship and was listening to various men from the church presenting messages, I don't remember the theme of the lectureship, but I remember one encounter that I had or one experience that I had witnessing a man in his 70s who was a known pillar of the faith. This man had devoted the entirety of his life to preaching the gospel. And he didn't just say it, he lived it. And everybody knew this about him. And when he stood up to speak to me, his voice was like thunder. And there was authority in what he was saying and conviction behind it and passion, and faith, and a lifetime of love for the Lord and for his word coming through this man. And at one point in the message, he got teary-eyed as he relayed his ever-present and constant need for the grace of our Lord Jesus, and how it is that he must go before the throne of God on his knees every day begging God for forgiveness and begging God for mercy. And as a young man, I did not know how to reconcile such devout faith and a clearly sanctified life with such humility and honest sincerity through teary eyes to say, I need the forgiveness of God every day, and without his grace, I would be nothing. I thought, this man's being too hard on himself. But the truth is, it is those who do not know the word who stand on their own two feet. It is those who do not bring in these words who feel a kind of self-confidence. It is those who are not acquainted with the pages of this book who think themselves righteous and who don't fall at the feet of the Savior. From the beginning of your faith in Jesus until the very end of your life, this word will pierce you to your core so long as you have two ears that are opened and a heart that remains soft. There should not be a day in this faith journey where you come to the words of the living God and it passes over you like a, it would pass over a callus. 
We need two ears that are open and we need hearts that are soft. The Hebrew writer who was writing to the Jews was reminding them of their forefathers who had fallen in the wilderness. And in Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4, he writes to them about a Sabbath rest that remains. Some, some people, for whatever reason, think this is, this is it. It's now. The time is now to rest. The time is now to lay down our tools, to lay down our arms, and to sleep and to slumber. And he says there is a Sabbath rest that remains, but God is talking about a Sabbath that isn't now. It's not yet. It's to come. And so he says through Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4, he says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. If you hear the voice of God, do not harden your hearts. We're continuing in our series, our five-part series on the Word of God. Today is week number four, message number four. We've seen that the Word of God is this, this, this is our breath. If you breathe it in, you've got air in your lungs. You can go about and do a lot of stuff. This word is food, where if you'll consume it with the kind of appetite that you have for calories, you will be strengthened and nourished to your core. Last week we saw, if you want to know what it looks like to live out these words, go look at Jesus, for he is the word of God become flesh. And this week, it is the word of God, not air, not food, but the word of God, a sword and a scalpel. Hebrews chapter 4, well-known passage to us, verses 12 to 13, it says, For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the intentions, the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is an awesome scripture, it brings me to a state of awe, and I hope that it will do the same for you, and it's also a terrifying scripture. As I look at this word and what this word is capable of doing, and not only what it is capable of doing, but what this word indeed is doing, always. The subject is the word of God. That's the subject of 12 and 13. So that's what we're talking about. And he describes this word, or he gives, he, he, he specifies six areas concerning this word. What's it doing? What's it like? How would you describe it? What's its activity? And so that's what we're going to look at. I won't, I won't spend any length of time on any one of these, but there are six. The word of God is, number one, living. 
So that's number one. There, this is, uh, I'll start off by saying this is an old book. And when I look around in the world, there are ideas that have grown old, and there are ideas that have died. There are things that people once thought that we now know that was ignorance, that was wrong, that wasn't true, and those ideas go with those people. Some ideas are tired, some ideas are dead, some books are dead. Freud is not only dead, but his ideas are dead. I marvel at at the, the grip he still holds to some degree in kind of the culture that we live in, but any serious psychologist looks at the work of Freud and they say it was baseless and he made these things up. And at one time, he held captive the world as they looked on his ideas, and now we know they were a farce. Darwin is dead. And if you pay attention within the world of science, you know that more and more scientists, not just those of a creationist perspective, but even atheists and a lot of agnostics are rejecting Darwin. His theory of macroevolution by natural selection does not hold up given everything we know about the complexity of the cell. It just doesn't. There are too many interdependent systems within the cell that it, they, it could not have happened the way he assumed that it happened. So Darwin is dead and his ideas are dead. But this book, he says, is living It is alive. The word of God, he says, is living, actively, presently, ongoing. It's alive. And that means everything between the pages is alive. There's not a thing God said 2,000 years ago that today we can retire and say, that was for them then, That's not for us now. See, we've evolved as a society. We've evolved as a people. We've changed. We have been enlightened, so we think. And so some of his ideas about gender and sexuality and marriage and especially creation, these things we can hang up and say that was for them then in their ignorance. But he says the word of God is living And so, all of the ideas, every one of them, are living. You remember in Acts chapter 17 and verse 21, when it said that the Athenians did nothing except learn and talk about new things. That's all they ever did. That's the world that we live in. If it's not new, if it's not edgy, if it's not cutting edge, oh, that's what your forefathers did? No, we need something else. And there are those who are always learning, and therefore they never arrive at a knowledge of the truth. We're talking about a word that is the beginning and the end. We're talking about an author that doesn't just die and go away into irrelevancy. We're talking about the alpha and the omega. 
and he has oriented and shaped and directed all of history from the beginning of creation until the final hour of human life. And so the relevancy is 100% all the way through because it is living. Number two, he says that the word of God is active. And I alluded to this a second ago, but the, first, the word he uses for active is the word from which we get energy. There, there are some systems that are living. There, there are, you know, in, in biology, and there are some systems that are alive, and they don't appear to do much. You never see them. They're, they don't do much. They, are, they may be doing something in their own little world, but they're not doing much. He says the word of God, it's not just living. It's not just out there in outer space somewhere doing something that doesn't contact us. He says it's active. It's energetic. It is, it's actually doing something in the world. And I think it's easy when we look over. I just, a few months ago, I was over in uh, Africa on, um, in the country of Malawi and I was working with um, some uh, Bible students there, teaching them the book of Romans. And I'm astounded at the pace at which the gospel is spreading across the continent of Africa. It's like wildfire. And it's easy sometimes to look over there and say, see, it's, it's active over there. But here in the U.S., it, it's just receding, it's dying, it's fading out and, and whatnot. But what's, what's interesting is, and, and, I, and I don't think that's true at all. I don't think that here in the U.S. that it's just receding and it's going away into oblivion. What's interesting is when you have a bad idea, and when you take that bad idea, when you have a bad idea and somebody says, if you'll do this, salvation's going to be on the other end, and you take that idea all the way to the end. See, we've kind of, we've had a snowball. Think about the sexual revolution and what it's done in our country. It started in the 60s, and it's just snowballed to where here we are. You can be any gender you want. You can do anything you want with whomever you want. And, and the thing is, when you get to the end of a line that was a lie, you stand at the end of that line, and you realize this wasn't true. This wasn't salvation. This wasn't what was promised. And there is an overwhelming number of people who've followed these ideas to their natural end and they're getting to the end and they're saying it wasn't my salvation it wasn't and they're turning to Jesus I am seeing a profound number of testimonies from those in my generation that have taken eastern mysticism and sort of the new age ideas and things of the occult and they've gone all the way down this line thinking that it would fill the transcendent meaning in their lives that they have and it did nothing for them the word of god is active in this world we're seeing a return to biblical family values really on a large scale god's word is not just alive it is active and even in a secular nation like this, it is active. And so we keep issuing forth the message, which is the life of the people. Number three, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. So that's number three. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And this is where, where the, the call to to keep open ears and a, and a soft, malleable heart is so important because 
if it's easy for me if I'm gasping for air to say give me some breath you say well this is breath right here take it in it's easy for me when I'm starved and I'm hungry to say give me some food I say here's some food take it and breathe it in but when God see God's word doesn't fit into every little we would like it to just be food that's the only metaphor that it is it's just food food nourishes what do knives do what do swords do what do scalpels do they cut they remove things that ought not be nourished there's there's a large percentage of the evangelical world that would like for us to think that the entirety of the word of god is palatable if only it will be said with enough finesse (laughs) it's just not true he says that the word of god is sharper than any two-edged sword and the men in his day were capable of crafting and forging some profoundly sharp swords He says, this one is sharper than that. Number four, he says that it is piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. So that's number four. And this this is descriptive of the sharpness of it. He, he says it's able, you take your soul and your spirit, which believe it or not are very intermingled, but sep- they, are, they are unique. And I remember when I was in uh, Bible college and was, was asked to do some research and some study on the difference between soul and spirit. And it's one of those things that as soon as you think you've got your hands on it, you can't get your hands around it. It's neb- spirit means wind. It means breath. It's like you try, to, you try to get your hands around it and it just vanishes. And finding the difference between soul and spirit for me is almost impossible. Grappling with those ideas is extremely difficult. And he says the word of God is capable of getting between the two It's sharp enough to go between these two things that are so interconnected that I have a hard time knowing the difference between the two of them. And he says that it pierces to the division of joints and marrow. And I was thinking about this and how he could have said the word of God pierces to the division of actions and deeds of the epidermis and the hypodermis. But he didn't. I, for, for so long in my faith, I thought that the Christian faith was primarily about cleaning up and shaping up externalities. If I could, don't gratify this sexual lust. Don't do it. Just and make if if it's an if it's a problem, make yourself stop that action. Don't use foul language. Use only words that are gracious. Read your Bible, Daniel. Here's my list. Check it off. Go to church. Whenever the doors are open, be there at church. 
do good deeds, and on and on and on, all of these things external, I thought that's what the Christian life is about. It's about not doing these things and doing these things. And the deeper that I get into this work, why is it that he said that it pierces to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow? Why did he say that? Because he's saying it has aimed to go to the deepest part of a person. It has aimed to go to your very core. This is why I said at the beginning, there's, it's, it's, I don't think that using the analogy of an onion is a good one, but it's almost like that in that the longer that I'm a Christian, I, I became a Christian when I was 12. I'm 34 now, so you can do the math. 22 years of being a Christian. And after 22 years of living this faith, my external behavior and my customs and my habits are almost uh, they're almost incomparable to, to those of, of the 12-year-old me. They've changed significantly. As, as a 12-year-old me, I would have thought, that's who I want to be one day. And now, knowing me and knowing everything on the inside of me, the Word of God, as I come to it, there's never a point where I come to it and I stand on my own two feet. There's never a point where I come to it and I think, I, I've, I've arrived, I've made it. Why not? Because it's going to the marrow. There, there are sins of pride and the love of man's praise and a Pharisee-level excuse-making and the ability to be a, a, an amazing prosecutor for the sins of the world and a really skilled defense attorney for my own sins. And that exists and when I come to the word, it's just piercing down into those levels. Why? Because sin, we can't look at it as just something that exists kind of and floats out and about, and it's just little things we do with our hands. No, it goes to the core of a person. And this is why he says the word of God pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow. That was number four. Number five, it is discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, before we look at that, uh, that point, I want to I bring something out that maybe you've never thought of before. That, so you can, you can keep that there. This word is living. This, the word of God, that's the subject all through here. So let me just, this right here, all the way through here, grammatically, it's living and it's active and he says that it is piercing and, and then he says it's discerning. What is discerning? The, the word means, it's, it's the word kritikos in Greek, which is the word from which we get critic or um, criticize or criticism. It, it's able, so think about this. Whatever this word is that he's talking about, it's living and it's moving about doing things and it's piercing and he says that it is discerning, it's thinking. Are we just talking about words on a page here? Do, do words on a page think? 
No. That, that's why you can, you can take those words on a page and, and put them on your shelf, and they'll collect dust. If, if that's how we're defining the word of God, it, which it, that's it, but only in one little narrow category, what he's talking about, and I, I just, let me show you this, and I, I understand that this will not, uh, this may, may not make a lot of sense, but, but you can see what I'm about to show you. I know that. Right here, he says, for uh, the the word of God. And this in particular is the Greek word logos. The logos of God. Do you remember that word? Did we talk about that recently? The logos of God is who? The word of God is who? The word of God last week became flesh. In the Bible, the logos is not just words that are printed or etched on stone, but it's a person. And down here at the very end, you can see this. Do you see how that's the same word as right here? In your translation, you're not going to see it this way. But what he says here at the end, I'm, let's look here at verse 13. No creature is, now we're going to get in just a moment to what the fifth point is about, discerning, and then this other point about seeing things. But um, no creature is hidden from, notice what it says, from his sight. Well, grammatically, what does his refer to? What does that pronoun point back to? It points back to the subject of the sentence, namely, the word of God. That's the subject. No creature is hidden from the sight of the word of God. So this, this word is seeing, and it's living, and it's discerning. And then right here at the end, he says, and you remember how I showed you down here at the bottom, that it is the same words right there. I'm going to... That shouldn't, it, I don't think that's a good translation of this. What he's saying is, everyone is naked and exposed before the eyes of him, and then he says, the word with whom we must deal. The logos with whom we must deal. The logos of the world sees everything and is discerning everything. And in this fifth point, which uh, if, if it's getting kind of messy on the screen, I'll just give a little circle there so you can find it again. This fifth point is saying the word of God, which I believe is Jesus, is discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now what that means is you've heard it said that the word of God never returns empty-handed. I've heard people say the word of God never returns empty-handed. I'm going to go to this place. These people don't know the gospel at all, and I know that we're going to convert a bunch of souls because the word of God never returns empty-handed. Well, the word of God never returns empty-handed, but it doesn't mean that it comes back with the news of salvation. Sometimes it comes back with another kind of testimony because he's saying that the very word of God, which isn't just pages, that's a medium that's used to transfer it, but it comes by the person of Jesus, and what he says is, it goes into 
hearts and minds, and it discerns. He discerns. When a hard word is issued, when a challenging word is issued, when a difficult word is issued, and it comes and it goes into your heart, it goes in one ear, and it knows if for a moment in time you thought and you realized that was a true word. And then you said, but I don't like it. It's going to mean change over here and it's going to demand this of me. So I'm going to throw it away and I'm going to be done with it. It knows. It knows that. It says it is discerning the intentions and the thoughts and the interworkings and what happens in my mind and your mind. And what that does for me is, and what it ought to do for you is, it ought to demand honesty of this book. Because he goes on in the sixth point to say, no creature is hidden from his sight. He sees everything. And I, and I want to tell you, so he sees everything. He, he, the word's issued. He knows what you thought about it. Nobody else knows. I don't know. Your neighbor doesn't know. Your wife doesn't know. He knows. And that testimony remains. And what he says is, there's nobody that escapes this. Notice he says, no creature is hidden from his sight, not a single in all of creation, not a single creature, but everyone is naked and exposed. We, we put layers and layers and layers upon ourselves to keep the inner me from being seen, and he says before him, it's all seen. He sees every bit of it. And what that does is, I'm looking forward to a future day. I'm looking forward to the Sabbath, the Sabbath which is to come. And brethren, it's going to be awesome. You're going to stand face to face with your creator and you're going to live with him for eternity in a place where none of the problems that exist here are. It will be true paradise. I want to be there more than anything in all the world. Everybody wants to be there. And what this word is saying is keep ears that are open. Keep a heart that is soft enough for the sword to go in and do what it needs to do. And what we should realize together, every one of us is, sometimes we're breathing in air and we're getting the uplift we need. Sometimes we're eating food and we're getting the nourishment we need. Sometimes we're getting and will be getting from this word as we go through it, a sword that is to say, Whatever that is in your life, cut it off. And if we looked at it the way that we look at physical maladies, nobody likes undergoing surgery. I've never met a single person who says, I like surgery. Never in my life. But every person who I've ever known who had a tumor or who had a lesion or who had something that didn't belong there that was inhibiting their health, they say, Doctor, do what you need to do. Remove it from my life so that I can be the healthy me that I want to be. Amen? Right? And so this is, this is that sometimes. Meaning it won't necessarily always be pleasant, but after the fact, it always will be. In the end, every word will be sweet. Brethren, let's get ready for that great Sabbath day which is to come by keeping open ears and a soft heart and hearing the words of the Lord. If you have a need this morning... If you need Jesus, if you need to put him on in baptism, if you need to confess sin or repent of sin, or if you need the wisdom and guidance of an elder or a leader here, you can let that be known while we stand and sing this song.